Hi, I'm Jonathan Edwards, and I want to welcome you to the Jed Breaks Bread podcast. My goal in this podcast is to teach the truth of the Word of God and apply it to our lives that our orthopraxy might be as good as our orthodoxy. May you be blessed. Welcome, friends. We are about to put 2020 in the rearview mirror, and based on the cultural commentary that I've been able to discern, and perhaps you as well, many, many people are excited to put 2020 in the rearview mirror with the hopes that, or with the expectation that, 2021 will be a much better year. However, we don't know that. Many of us thought that 2020 would be a great year. And then in March and April, our lives were turned upside down by the COVID-19 pandemic. And many of the things that we all look forward to were canceled, postponed, done away with. We've had to totally adjust to a different style of life over the last nine months than what we had been accustomed to as Americans. And that has been very challenging for many people. And it continues to be challenging. And I know people want to put 2020 behind them so that they don't have to think about the challenges of 2020. But on the contrary, I think it's very beneficial when you examine the challenges of the year. It's very beneficial when you go through struggles and strife and trials in your life. In fact, in the New Testament, when trials and struggles and tribulations are brought up, the biblical writers always indicate that it is those trials, struggles, and tribulations that bring about a greater Christ-likeness in our own personal lives. So let us not be like the world. Let us not look at 2020 for all of the negative things that it brought into our lives, for all of the things that were canceled because of 2020. But let us look to 2020 as a year where we were forced to grow spiritually because we had to rely upon God and not our own ingenuity, our own sovereignty, our own plans, our own abilities. Many of that or many of those things that we did rely upon were taken away from us and we had to learn and think of new ways to do things, new ways to communicate with people, to stay in contact as a church family. We had to adapt and trust that God was in control both of the virus and of the presidential election that occurred in the United States and in the uh, congressional and Senate races that took place. I do think that year over year, it is, it is important for us to have some introspection, to have some self-reflection, to consider what we have experienced during the year, ways that we have grown, ways that we have not grown, failures that we have gone through and accomplishments and areas of growth that we have demonstrated. And so I guess as a wrap-up to 2020, I wanted to share some things that I observed throughout this year, perhaps some things that you might also have observed. And I just want to make some brief comments on those things as a wrap-up to 2020. The first thing that I want to say that 2020 revealed to America as a whole 
is that Americans have an extreme fear of death. You know, America, when other people come to America from third world countries or really from other countries in the world, they look at America and they think, this is, must be like what heaven is going to be like. America is so wealthy. We live in so much prosperity. We have so many wonderful aspects of our culture, of the ability to make and earn money, of healthcare, food, you name it, we have it in America. Does that mean America's perfect? No, no place is perfect. But we have a lot in America. The one thing that we cannot guarantee, though, is when we die. You can live in America, you can have a great and wonderful life, you can have all the blessings, and you could be taken tragically in a car accident. And we're willing to accept that risk because driving in a car and utilizing a vehicle is part of the way that we make and earn money. It's part of the way that we have structured our lives. We're willing to take that risk because it doesn't seem like it's going to happen to us. But this COVID-19 virus that came and swept across America produced an, I want to say, irrational fear. I know some people might... Um, might balk at that word. Maybe not irrational, but legitimate fear of death. COVID-19 revealed a legitimate fear of death that we have as a, as a cultural phenomenon. As a culture, we are not prone to recognize death in the sense that death is common. Other cultures in the world, other places that I visit in the world, they live in, in areas where the risks are much greater, where poor health care results in many deaths of children every year, where people die frequently on the roadways traveling. Um, death is common. It's accepted. It's a regular feature of life. And in America, we are really shielded from death. We are really shielded from death. We ought to consider that. And this pandemic brought about and revealed our fear of death and that we as a culture have an idol of health and wellness in America because people have no hope for life after death. We try to preserve life at every cost imaginable. And you know what? It's a good thing that we are blessed in a society where we have excellent medical care, where we have an understanding of how the body works and how to deal with various ailments that do benefit people, including Christians, on spending more time with their loved ones. But the COVID-19 pandemic has revealed to what extent we fear death. And I, I believe Americans fear death because they have no hope for the future. And that reveals a tragic spiritual condition within our country. Americans have no hope for the future. They have no hope for life after death. And to be honest, why would you expect Americans to have any different view of death or life after death? The American culture and American society at large has rejected the knowledge of their creator God. They have no hope in any life after death because all they know is that time plus chance plus matter equals where we are today and who we are today. When you have an evolutionary outlook on life, 
you only get this short period of time and then you just disappear and disintegrate and you go into the great beyond and there's nothing there. That's a very disheartening thought. Extremely disheartening. And so it's reasonable to expect people who have an evolutionary perspective on life to fear death because death is the one thing that will take away the goodness of living in America. We have an idol of health and wellness because we value our health and our wellness so much that we will break long-standing relationships in order to maintain our health and wellness. We will alter fundamental aspects of our lives in order to protect our health and wellness. We will seclude ourselves from our family and our dearest friends in order to preserve our health and our wellness. Now, I can understand, certainly, I can understand people who don't know Jesus making these choices. But it is hard for me to wrap my mind around Christians who know Jesus, who know the end and they know where they're going. It's hard for me to wrap my mind around them making these choices long term. Now, don't get me wrong. I think that it was the right thing to do at the beginning of the pandemic for everybody to stay home until we understood what the virus was and how dangerous it was and how it could be controlled and what therapeutics were available. But here we are, nine months after the virus has really come upon us, nine months after our cognizance of the virus, let me put it that way. And many, even Christians, are still making decisions in their life based primarily on whether they're going to be healthy and well. And I fear for the long-term repercussions of the church. I fear for the long-term repercussions of our children. I fear that there will be many sad stories that emerge from this long-term fear of death and of how the idol of health and wellness has caused us to make decisions that are in many ways contrary to the Word of God. And what I mean by that is God has designed us to be community beings. We are to exist in community with one another. And when you isolate individuals from the community, oftentimes despair and depression sets in. And we will not know the long-term effects of this long-term isolation for many, many years. So one of the lessons that I think 2020 has revealed is that Americans need to stop fearing death. And if you're a Christian listening to this right now, you ought not to fear death. And you ought to say, I can take a message of hope to my unbelieving neighbors and friends. We as believers have the only message that will help people to stop fearing death. And that is the message of the cross, that Jesus Christ came into this world, that he was born of a virgin, that he might live and die, shedding his blood on the cross of Calvary to pay the price for your sins and my sins and the sins of every other person who's ever lived. And at his death, he truly died. He truly died. He was literally put in the grave. And it was the power of God the Father through the Holy Spirit that raised him from the dead on the third day, conquering death 
and conquering sin and providing victory to all who would call upon the name of Jesus. My friends, we as believers have this message, and that is the one message that if people believe, they will no longer fear death. Let me move now to a second area, a second lesson that was learned in 2020. I think that as I observed the evangelical community, now I'm just talking about, again, the broad evangelical community, that the political and cultural issues that were presented in 2020 divided evangelicals even further. I would go so far to say as I think there is a schism within the evangelical movement and the movement will fracture within the next two to four years. And there will be conservative evangelicals and there will be not conservative evangelicals. I would call them progressive evangelicals. Now, they probably would not like to be labeled progressive, but they are progressive in their embrace of the social issues of our day. They are embracing the critical race theory interpretation of society. They are embracing an LGBTQ plus interpretation of life. They are embracing many other things that I think are contrary to God's word, but they say, or they would argue, are acceptable and are ways that God would actually demonstrate love to people. So these progressive evangelicals, they in particular are going to be a a force to be reckoned with because they are going to turn on their other brothers and sisters in Christ and they are going to castigate us and they are going to uh, call us out for not agreeing with the progressive ideology and the progressive social issues that they have embraced. Now, I would say that they're probably going to remain gospel-centered. They will probably still hold that Jesus Christ is the only way to get to heaven. So they will be evangelical in their understanding of the gospel, but they're going to be progressive in their application of biblical principles. This is something to keep your eye on in the years to come. These political and cultural issues, namely critical race theory, the rise and embrace of the LGBTQ plus movement, the embrace of socialism as a legitimate and acceptable form of human government, and many other things. These particular issues are the ones that progressive evangelicals are touting. They are promoting those things. And I'm not sure, I don't want to castigate anybody's motives. I can't know their motives. All I can say is that the schism within the evangelical community is very obvious, and it's not going to take too long before that schism is broken out in the public. And you know what? I don't really want to name any names. I have names of people that I think have maybe embraced some of these ideas. But you know what? It's not right for me to call them out on a podcast they'll never be able to respond to. I would much rather be able to meet with those brothers in person, but I'm a nobody and they're somebody. And they're somebodies because they they have a platform that reaches many thousands or perhaps even hundreds of thousands of those in the evangelical movement. All I want to point out is that we as evangelicals, we must stand together to fight for the truth 
which includes the hermeneutic of how we interpret and understand and apply the scriptures to life. A third lesson from 2020 is that we see the fragility of the local church. The fragility of the local church. You know, it's both a fragile and a resilient organization. The fragility of the local church is demonstrated when the members of the church have strong disagreements about political or cultural issues. And oftentimes, the fragility of the church is evidenced in how we argue over non-salvific issues. And we castigate one another, we uh, backbite or we backstab one another over issues that are, that are preference issues or over issues that are debatable issues. This has obviously been going on in the church for many, many years. Um, I shouldn't say that. Let me say it this way. Conflicts over debatable issues have happened in the church throughout the church's history. However, 2020 brought some of the conflicts to the forefront again. It brought some of the debatable issues to the forefront again. And you see the fragility of the local church as people have allegiances to issues and to thoughts that are perhaps not in line with the Word of God. They have allegiances to things that they will put at an equal footing with God. And I'm thinking about, in in particular, in the political arena. We as Christians have, in some ways, made a, a Christian nationalism a type of idolatry that we are worshiping. We are striving for this Christian nationalism where whereby America must be this Christian nation. And I understand the history of America. I understand that it was founded on Judeo-Christian principles and that 29 of the 52 members of the, uh, the founding fathers were, were pastors or were seminary professors. I understand the, spirit, the, spiritual, the spiritual influence that is behind the formation of America. But America is not a, a nation like Israel called out from, from God Set, aside, set apart by God, America is not that. America is a pagan nation that for much of its history has acknowledged the Creator God, but in the last 50 years has turned her back on the knowledge of the true God. And I think that this issue of the Christian's involvement in politics and culture that issue has come to the forefront again and has the opportunity to fracture churches if we're not careful. Now, what should we be focusing on? We ought to be, as Christians, focusing on following Jesus Christ. What does that mean to, to follow Jesus Christ? What is our, our main purpose? Well, let me read to you from Ephesians chapter 4. Okay, Ephesians 4, this is a great passage to help us understand What is the purpose of the church? Paul writes this, Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were also called in one hope of your calling. 
one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. The unifying force within the local church is Jesus Christ. The overarching purpose is to answer the call of God. The goal of that, or the way that we do that, is to act with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, and working towards the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. You know, the Spirit naturally provides unity because the Spirit takes people who are of different social backgrounds, different economic backgrounds, different racial backgrounds, and puts them all together in one organization called the local church. And it is up to us in the local church to keep our eyes focused on the truth of the Word of God and on the person of Jesus Christ and make sure that we're saying, what is the church's mission? What is the church's mission? And are we promoting the church's mission according to the New Testament in our local assembly or... Are we promoting something other than the church's mission in our local assembly? So we need to ask ourselves, what is the unifying force in our church? And if it's not Jesus Christ and the Great Commission, what should our unifying force be? Our unifying force should be Jesus Christ and accomplishing the Great Commission. A fourth lesson that Christians had to learn or should learn from 2020 is that Christians have had to practice submission to governing authorities in a way that we have not had to do for many, many years, perhaps even decades. And some of our brothers and sisters in Christ have even had to defy governing authorities in order to practice being a church. And I would say the most notable example of this in 2020 was Grace Community Church, pastored by John MacArthur and based in Los Angeles, California, where the COVID-19 restrictions have been extremely strict. You know, there was a there is a time and a place to submit to governing authorities. In fact, our attitude the majority of the time, as Christians, should be to submit to the governing authorities and to the laws that they enact, for God has established government over us. However, there are a few circumstances where the government asks us to do things that are in contradiction to the Word of God. And at that moment, when the government asks us to do things that are contrary to the Word of God, we need to decide and determine to obey the Word of God, rather than human governments. You know, we have all wrestled with this in our local churches this year as we have thought about how long will we be locked down? Should we lock our churches down, uh, suspending services? Should we do the mask mandates? What do we think about that? We have had to really wrestle with the question, how much is too much when it comes to government oversight and authority and is the government asking us to do something that violates the word of God? You know, these are, these are serious and important issues that we have not wrestled with in America because we have lived under such freedoms. And I hope that as you reflect on 2020, you will think, wow, I have, I have really thought through some of these 
these issues and I have been helped because of being forced to think through these issues by how the government has acted, by how I have acted, by how maybe my my pastors have encouraged me to think. I hope that your dedication to submission is stronger today than it was at the beginning of 2020. And one of the reasons I hope that is that God has established all kinds of spheres of authority and God expects us to submit to those who are above us in the various spheres of authority in which we live and exist. Submission to authority, contrary to culture, submission to authority is a good thing in God's eyes. And so it honors God when we submit to the authorities. But we need to make sure that we're not submitting in such a way that causes us to forsake the truth. That's the fine line that must be drawn, and that's one that Christians have had to answer this year. A fifth area where Christians have uh, perhaps had to learn some lessons in 2020 or had to think about things differently is in the issue of financial stewardship. You know, when your livelihood is taken away from you because you have to lock down, how are you going to manage life? Have you saved money to get you through a a dry spell where you're not bringing in income? How do you manage a stimulus check? How do you think about perhaps a large tax refund? Do you spend it on your own pleasures or do you consider the Lord's work when you receive those financial blessings? Do you consider maybe even saving some for the future instead of spending it all at once? I think Christians in particular have had to wrestle with how do I view money and how do I practice biblical stewardship this year more than most? Perhaps the lockdowns and the the loss of income revealed to you that your spending is way out of control and you need to get that under control. Perhaps it revealed to you that your debt is unmanageable and you need to get the debt under control. Perhaps it revealed to you that you're doing well and you should continue doing well. And when you do receive the stimulus check, the economic stimulus payment, that you should save that for the future instead of spending it right away. Finally, I would say this as a lesson learned for 2020. Many, many people who were not known as grumblers or complainers became grumblers and complainers this year. In some ways, it's easy to not grumble and complain when everything is going well. But when we face adversity, when we face trials, when we have difficulty, our tendency is to start grumbling and complaining and whining about how things just aren't going well. You know what? That was Israel's problem when they went into the desert. God rescued them from slavery. God set them free. God said, I'm going to give you a land flowing with milk and honey. And when they got in the desert, what were they, what were they saying? If only we had the onions and the garlic from Egypt. That would be better than this manna stuff that the Lord has given us to eat. They could not look at the positive side of what God was doing. And that's where I want to conclude. I want to challenge you. I want to call you to look to the positive side of what God is doing. 
How has God used 2020 to make you into a more Christ-like person? How has God used the events of 2020 to help you appreciate the blessings that you enjoy as an American citizen and as a Christian in America? Heading into 2021, this should be our main focus. How can I express gratitude more often than grumbling? How can I express thankfulness more often than whining or complaining? You know, these are, these are challenging realities. The easy thing to do is grumble and complain. But the godly thing to do is to give praise with all thanksgiving, no matter what the situation or the circumstance. We ought to be like Paul, who said that he learned to be content. It wasn't natural, but he learned to be content in whatever situation he was in. I want to leave you with this verse. I know that sometimes it's taken out of context, but I want to try to use it in the right context here. In Romans chapter 8, verse 28, Paul says this, And we know, he's talking about believers, that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God. He doesn't say that God gives good things to all people who love God but that God causes all things to work together for good. So if you had a tragedy occur in your life in 2020, God is going to cause that to work for good in your life. And what is the good? Let's answer that question. What is the good? The good is that you would become conformed to the image of his son, Jesus Christ. All things that you experience in life ought to be transforming you into the image of Jesus Christ. You should be becoming more patient, more gracious, more joyful, more thankful, more self-controlled, more diligent to call upon the Lord and consider God's will when you make decisions. All things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. See, God has a purpose in his plans, and in the circumstances that he brings into our lives. For God foreknew you and I. And he also predestined you and I to become conformed to the image of his Son, so that Jesus would be the firstborn among many brethren. And those who were predestined, he called. And those who were called, he justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. So if you have been called by God, you have been justified before him in the court of God's judgment, you will also be glorified on the day of the rapture or on the day when Christ, uh, when you die and go into heaven. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? No one. No one. No one. We should be, of all people, the most grateful, thankful, joyful, and kind-hearted, willing to suffer for the sake of what our God has done for us, knowing that nothing we endure from this life will be able to separate us from the love of God or from the eternity that we will be able to share with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I hope that you too will take some time to reflect on 2020, 
that you'll listen to these things that I've shared with you and that you will be encouraged and that you will fortify in your mind a commitment to live according to God's word, to be rededicated to the principles found therein, and that your life in 2021 will bring glory to Jesus Christ our Lord.